CRN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I'm so excited about today's episode. Now, you know, if you listened to the last episode that I promised I probably wouldn't be putting out weekly podcasts for a while. That's a part of my own soul care and trying to take care of myself. Content creation takes a lot of time. But you know I can't stay away because I love PRN and I love having conversations that matter. And in today's episode, we are doing just that. I'm so thankful to have an old friend of the podcast, Katie Pounder, back on to talk about her new book, The Wind Blows in Sleeping Grass. Roughly three years ago or so, Katie was on the podcast to talk about her first published book, The Sewing Season. And it was so fun to catch up with her, to talk about her writing life, what she's been up to, and to also talk about her take on storytelling and what makes a compelling story. I really enjoyed my time with Katie. She's a kindred spirit, and I think you're really going to enjoy this as well. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Katie, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, you were on the podcast. I had to count it up. I think it was maybe three years ago when you first oh, wow. released your first po- your first book. Okay. So maybe if I've had long-term listeners, they remember, but maybe <laughs> not. So would you introduce yourself and kind of catch us up with what you've been up to the last three years or so? Sure. Yeah. Three years is a long time. So <laughs> I would be very impressed if somebody remembered. Uh, my name is Katie Powner and I live in Montana in a small town I've been writing, like seriously writing for about 10 years now, and I wrote four full novels um, before my my first one that was published. Those four were rejected, so then book number five was The Sewing Season, and that was my first book that came out three years ago, as you mentioned. Um, so since then, I have had three more books release which has been amazing. Um, so my fourth one just came out in September. So that was pretty recent. And, um, now I, I don't have any further contracts at the moment. So right now I'm just sort of working on a few fun projects, kind of deciding what kind of thing I want to do next. Thank you for catching us up. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you've been on such a run, I guess I just assume there's like three more in the works, but this is the author life, I guess. This is the author life. I have, I mean, I have a whole nother, I have several written, um, just none of them have contracts yet. So it's all a numbers game at the end of the day and publishers have to, um, you know, they have to make money. So they're very careful with contracts that they give out. Okay. So I love to follow you on Twitter and Instagram and all the places, Facebook, all the places that you are. But one of my favorite things is seeing Moulin. So can you you share with the listeners who Moulin is and tell us where she's been lately? So Moulin is a stuffed cow and I rescued her from um, a pile that was headed to the Goodwill and she was in the pile. It was my neighbor's pile and she was headed to the Goodwill and I snatched her from the jaws of death and brought her home um, because I grew up on a dairy farm. So I love cows. I just think cows are super just cool creatures. But also at the time, um, my first book was about to come out and it was about a dairy farmer. And so it had cows in it. And so it just made sense to bring Moulin home and make her my mascot. Uh, I gave her a little pair of red shoes that match my red shoes that I wear. 
And she also has some red beads that match the red beads I wear. And those beads were my grandmother's. Um, And so Moulin goes with me to anytime I have a conference, an author event, she goes with me. So her most recent trip was up north to the High Line when I went there this summer. I took her up there um, to visit some of the places that appear in my most recent novel. Um, And so I got, she went around and we got pictures of her in some of the locations that are mentioned in the book. Very cool. Good segue, too, because I was going to ask you about the High Line. So in your latest book, you I mean, all your books really take place in Montana, don't they? Yeah. The first one is in Washington. Okay. The farm was in Washington, but the next three have been in Montana. Yeah. And this one takes place. I mean, I felt cold just reading it, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> on the High Line of Montana. So can you explain what that is? Yeah. So the High Line is in northern Montana. Um and it's, it's prairie land up there. It's open plains. Um, so it's very windy and it's called the high line partly because of highway two, which runs along that stretch and highway two, along with the railway also, um, because the railway follows the highway and they go kind of across Northern Montana and it's pretty barren up there. A lot of little small towns, um, but it's pretty remote and pretty isolated up there. Um, and so that whole kind of area is referred to by locals as the High Line. Interesting. Okay, I think we talked about this last time, if I'm remembering correctly, but I live in North Carolina. I've never been to Montana. It feels um, beautiful, barren, gorgeous, cowboyish, a lot of farms, <laughs> it seems like. Yeah. I don't know, but you've have you lived there your whole life? No, I grew up in Western Washington okay. on a farm. But I've lived here for over 20 years, so I feel like I'm from here now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's how I am with North Carolina, too. Yeah. Yeah. So what about Montana, like, draws you in and what what creates such a great setting for your books about Montana? Well, I mean, all of the adjectives you used a minute ago are so true. Um, It feels sort of stereotypical to be like, oh, Montana's just full of farms and cowboys and mountains and or whatever, you know, but it's, it's basically true. (laughs) So, you know, everywhere you look, there's mountains or prairies or farms, um, lots of rivers, lots of wildlife. And there, there are lots of barren places, especially in Eastern Montana where, you know, I mean, you, you can't see anything for miles. It's just flat, barren wasteland in a way. (laughs) But even that to me has a certain kind of beauty. And I just feel like there's so many different kinds of beauty to be found in Montana. And it's a big state. (laughs) So there's a lot of different things here. Um, And so I just, I just find that so intriguing and fascinating, all the different types of environments all in one state. Um, And so I just, I love, I love exploring around here. Very cool. Well, it really comes alive in your books. It makes me feel like I'm there. Nice. (laughs) So this uh, year on this podcast, our theme is tell your story. And I'm looking at all different kinds of stories. I mean, I'm a counselor, so I dive into people's stories all the time, but I also think that there's beauty in stories that people write, even fictional ones. And so I'm interested to know what inspired you to write this story, like The Wind Blows and Sleeping Grass. What what inspired you to that? 
Well, originally, the very first little um, seeds of the story came from my brother because he lives up on the High Line, which I described earlier. And he's lived there for several years and works up there as a garbage man. And he um, would tell me sometimes kind of stories about what it was like for him driving around collecting the garbage with things that he would see people that he would run into and things that would happen on his route. And I found it so interesting. Um, this idea of what all the things that he cut, he could see from his perspective going up and down the alley every day where people, other people weren't paying any attention to him. You know, you don't ever really notice the garbage man or pay any attention to them. They're just there doing their thing. Um, but the things that then they see and can learn about you, I just found that really interesting. And so that was kind of where the story started, that idea of the noticer who goes unnoticed. What would that be like? And that's that was where it started. That is very cool. That's really neat. Yeah. And I notice um, really in all of your books that you find very ordinary subject people. I mean, they don't seem extraordinary. They're not devastatingly beautiful. They're not 20 something (laughs) and hot. They're like all different ages, but really Mm -hmm. like you, you find beauty in the very ordinary and highlight that and really kind of the down and out people. Like people Uh who have a history, people who, well, I know that you have one character in one of your books who is hot, but most of them, (laughs) most of them are people that go unnoticed and you tend to like draw the reader in to tell more about their stories. So you also highlight some animals. So let's talk about Pearl the pig. (laughs) (laughs) I think in your first book, we talked about your rooster that shows up Mm -hmm. and then this one, there's a pig. So tell me about Pearl. Did you do you have pigs or how did she come I, about? I wish I had a pig. Um, I would love to have a pet pig. And so basically I can't right now, maybe someday. But that desire is actually where Pearl came from. I was sort of like, if I can't have one, then at least Pete can have one. And so I kind of lived vicariously through Pete having having a pet pig in, in the story. And I thought also you know, everybody, anyone can have a dog for a pet, you know, or something. Um, cause he needed, he needed a companion in the story and he needed someone who could be in the truck with him because otherwise if he's in, alone in the truck, you know, that's sort of a boring story. He needs <laughs> someone, well, you know, he, he spends a lot of time in there all alone uh, he needed somebody to interact with. So it could have been a dog, but I thought, well, why have a dog when you can have a pig? That's right. And <laughs> Yeah, the pearl of great price. Yeah. Yep. On your farm, you have a farm, right? Not anymore. Oh, okay. Yes, I grew up on the farm and it was a family farm, um but then and then eventually it had to be sold similar to Garrett in the sewing season. Um that story was actually based loosely on my family farm. Mm-hmm. And but you have chickens. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, and, and bunnies. And yep. bunnies. So see, to me, over the internet, at least, it seems like you have a farm, so like a halfway farm. That's about where we are, too. (laughs) I mean, we live on a dirt road, and we have chickens and bunnies, so I mean, sure. (laughs) Close enough. That's about where I'm at, too, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So as I'm talking about storytelling on the Seasons podcast, um, I'm curious to ask you, since you are a storyteller, you're a story writer. What do you think are the elements that make a compelling story? Like what is important to add in or to think about? 
I've been thinking about that. And it's so interesting because, I mean, you could go so many ways with that, you know, and everybody's going to approach that differently. And to me, I feel like at the end of the day, what's really important to me in telling a story is that I ask questions, um, but I don't necessarily feel compelled to answer them, if that makes sense. I want, and I think that that is sort of why a lot of my stories end up kind of open-ended at the end. They don't, they don't tie up a lot. They don't give all of the answers of, you know, then this is what happened and everyone lived happily ever after, which is fine. Those stories are great. Um, but to me, I want to leave that question unanswered for people to think about. If you think even of like, you know, Jesus is the ultimate storyteller and a lot of his stories were the same way. He left them open-ended and even sometimes with a very specific question, like, for example, so, you know, who would you say was the good neighbor in the Good Samaritan story? And he, he, he forces them to think about it and answer it themselves rather than just saying, so-and-so was the good neighbor. Can't you see? <laughs> Don't you get it? You know, he, he just leaves it kind of hanging there for them to decide. And then they have to take that with them and think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is good. Actually, I don't know if you've been noticing or if you went back and did research, but I just did a, I just did a podcast episode about the Good Samaritan and the Good Neighbor and the parables <laughs> of not, Jesus. I, I did not know that. <laughs> good job. Thanks, Katie, for taking that. <laughs> Perfect. And we've been talking about Jesus, the storyteller. So yeah. Yeah. It, and really, in my profession, too, you got to ask good questions. I can't come up with insights that are going to mm-hmm. change people's lives. They have to discover those for themselves. But yeah. how, do, how do we get there? We get there by asking good questions and contemplating. And Right. Yeah. Thank you know, and another thing that Jesus did was he used, as you mentioned earlier, just ordinary people in his story. And so that's another thing I, I try to emulate, you know, like people, you're not, I don't need to write a story about some extraordinary thing, some extraordinary person. Uh, because just the everyday ordinary person who lives next door has a story and is beautiful and has lessons to learn and, and something to teach. And yeah. Jesus knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and speaking about Jesus and about storytelling, I mean, I think that there's a real redemption theme in your stories. But like you said, they don't get tied up completely. You can kind of see maybe where it's headed or where you're hoping it's headed where people are growing and changing and becoming maybe, but you don't see them finally end up that way. But that's kind of how humans mm-hmm. are, isn't it? Mm-hmm. God is always doing sanctifying work. Right. Are you, are you trying to put a redemption theme in your writing or does that just kind of come naturally? That's such a great question. I would say that it comes pretty naturally, but, but only because I'm intentional about writing stories that mean something to me. Um, because as you know, as people probably know, it takes a lot of time to write a a full length, you know, 90,000 word novel months and months of time. And I'm not going to put that much of my life and my time into something that doesn't mean something. And so I don't go into a story saying, okay, this is the theme that I want to, you know, explore that this is, this is what I want people to think about. Um, I don't do that because, you know, I want the story to tell itself, you know, what and reveal itself. Um, but I do go into it with a lot of prayer and with the idea of, okay, what, what do you, what do you want me to get across? You know, 
praying and asking the Lord that if there's something that he wants to come across in this story, you know, that he'll guide me so that it will come, come out. Um, and because he's all about redemption, you know, that is, that's kind of his thing. Um, so then that tends to be what sort of comes out, you know, that's, that's the main story of mankind. Redemption is a, a human story in everybody's heart. And so I think it, even if I'm not trying, that tends to be <laughs> what comes out. Mm-hmm. So I know you write about different kinds of characters and different kinds of issues, but I really loved that your main character was 50 years old, but was a product of foster care. So mm-hmm. seeing like the the later years of what, what happens in trauma and how you process that and what he's tried to do to better himself and change himself. I just wanted to say, I really love that because I think we, we think about the younger years. We don't think about the older years or how somebody right. grows and changes as a human. Right. And how foster care, it impacts a child for life, you know, mm-hmm. and so as a foster parent myself, that was, it was important to me to make that as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to change our conversation for just a second out of your story, which I know we didn't, we didn't tell what the story is, but <laughs> I don't know if you want to give like a brief overview real quick of your latest story, or if we should just say, go out and read the book guys. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> But do you want to give a little recap? Sure. So it's called The Wind Blows in Sleeping Grass, and it's set in northern Montana. It's about Pete, the garbage man, and his pig, Pearl. And basically, they, um, they're they kind of loners, and he's just, after a lifetime, after 50 years of lots of hard things happening, he's just keeping to himself, um, doing his garbage route day after day, and then until, of course... He runs into some people who start to change his life, um, and so I won't I won't give any more away. But yeah. I would say, yeah, it's very much a found family story, um, and forgiveness, and moving on, and second chances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought of one other thing that I wanted to mention. I really loved um, your attention to Native American tradition, language, all that kind of stuff. Did you have to do a lot of research for that, for this book? I did. I wanted to be really careful with it. Um, and up on the High Line uh, in that area is where the Blackfeet Reservation is. And there's a large Blackfeet population up there. And so it was important to me to include that in the story because that, if I'm going to set it up there, um, that needs to be part of the story because that's reality. Um, and that also allowed me to, you know, to honor the memory of the massacre that happened up there, um, to bring that into the story in a natural way because of Wendy Ray, the man who's half, um, Blackfeet. And so as far as the research, you know, I did a lot of research because I was very concerned with just the accuracy, um, and just being very respectful of their culture. And at the end of the day, it's kind of scary to, to do that because you're always, you can always get something wrong. Um, and that's always a possibility hanging over your head that you might give inappropriate representation. Um, you know, and I prayed a lot about that because I was very concerned about that, but I wanted to honor them and I knew that they needed to be in the story. So. Well, I really appreciated that part of the story. It helped me learn a lot of things. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. So I'm just curious, um, as a writer, what are some of the most challenging parts these days? To me, the most challenging part about the writing life 
is everything that's not related to writing, <laughs> um, such as social media, websites, newsletters, uh, all of that kind of stuff. That is such a challenge. It takes so much time. Um, and people probably aren't aware even of the expense that's included in having to maintain a website, a domain name, um, to pay for an email service. All those expenses really add up. And so to me, that's actually, the, you know, the writing part is, is easy. I mean, it, it's not, it's hard, but, but that's, that's what I like to do. That's to me, like my happy place, everything else involved. That's the challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever hear of Karen Purvis? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. She's, well, she's passed away now, but she was mm -hmm. an adoption uh, guru. Mm -hmm. did a lot of work with kids. Anyway, I heard, I heard her story one time that she was really great with the kids. And then she had another man named David Cross that would follow behind and like make notations on everything she was doing. And I was oh, like, okay. I need one of those. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. You need one of those too. Like I need one of can those. do the podcast and the counseling and everybody else can do my notes and the editing, <laughs> the yeah, social the media. And the, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> so what are the biggest celebrations or the biggest wins lately? in writing? I mean, the biggest win for an author is always that first contract, you know, because usually by that point you've been trying for a long time, you've gotten a lot of rejections already. So that first yes is always like a huge deal. Um, and I remember that I got that as I was headed to a basketball game or something at the school. And so I actually called my mom from the gym and the, on the bleachers to tell her about it. And we couldn't even hear each other because, you know, I don't know if you've been in a gym, a high school gym, it's not great for phone conversations. Um, but so that's just such a huge deal. Um, but more recently, uh, a huge win for me has been that the, where the blue sky begins, my third novel was recently named as a finalist for a Christie award. And the Christie awards are one of the most prestigious awards in Christian publishing. And that was just so, um, shocking <laughs> and amazing. Um, so that was just, that was something to celebrate for sure. That is. Yeah. That's exciting. And it's a, it's an amazing book too, by the way, like oh, I really thanks. got invested in the characters. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> and so just for fun, like as we close out, what are you reading these days? What are the best things that you've come across lately? You know, I've got to confess that I have this issue with having too many books piled up. I know I, I like I have lists and lists and lists on my TBR, of course, but as far as physical books in my home, I can't handle having too many. Um, we have a small house. We have a lot of people. I like things to be organized. So when my TBR gets to a certain size, I make a commitment that I'm going to read those books until, you know, until they're gone and then before I start buying more books. And so right now it happens to be that my books are random books from the little free library at the park near my house. And so this is such an interesting random assortment of books. Like one of them is like an outdoor survival guidebook. Um, one of them is like an Ann Patchett book and there's some nonfiction. There's some old, old fiction, like from the fifties. Um, so these are just kind of random books that I found in the free library and took home. So that's, that's what I'm working through right now, actually, is that pile. And it's been really interesting because it, it kind of forces me to read books that, you know, I probably would have 
not picked up. Yeah. Otherwise, so. That is so interesting. I'm just curious, when you go to the Little Free Library, I mean, is there a good assortment there? Or are you like piecing through to figure out what you want? And do you put stuff back? I put tons of books in there, yeah. Because like I said, I can't handle having too many here. So I put lots of books in the library. And usually it, it can be hard to find good stuff in there because um, there'll be a lot of kids' books in my area. A lot of people will put kids' books. And then there'll also be a lot of kind of like Harlequin romance books, um, like the ones that have covers of, you know, like beefy men on them. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't have any interest in those whatsoever. So a lot of times you'll, you'll be like 15, 20 of those in there <laughs> to kind of wade through. Um, but then, but then there'll be just some random thing, you know, like the outdoor survival book or um, the spool of blue thread that I recently got. And I'll just, and then I'll just automatically grab it. Cause as, as long as it's like not a Harlequin Harlequin romance. I pretty much just grab it and take it home and figure, hey, let's just see what this book is about. Yeah. I I think I have read one of her books. Is she the one that wrote, is it The Dutch House? Maybe? The Dutch House. Yeah. Okay. Which, I've, re- yep, I've read that one. The one. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, I love that book. Yeah. Speaking of settings coming to life, like that's a very small setting, but it came to life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was the kind of story I appreciate because it was just sort of regular people having to really just really dive deep and deal with their life, mm-hmm. you know, and I like that. Yeah, me too. So if people want to find you and your books and or your books or all the things that you're up to, <laughs> see Mooley and all that, where are all the places <laughs> that they should find you? Well, if you go to katiepowder.com, that will have the links to all the other things to the Facebook and Instagram and um, the newsletter subscribing and, and all of those things. So katiepowner.com is sort of the one-stop shop to all of that. And your books can be found anywhere, specific yeah. places. Anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, christianbook.com, um, Amazon, of course, IndieBound would be great, a great place. People can find it locally. Um, books a million, all those kinds of places. Yep. Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again, Katie, for being on today's podcast episode. I always enjoy hanging out with you and I'm so thankful for the work that you're doing and the stories that you're putting out into the world. Friends, if you haven't already read one of Katie's books, I really encourage you to go find one and jump in. Her characters are compelling. You will be invested in the story and knowing how it's going to turn out. And I promise, unlike a lot of books, with Katie's books, you come away feeling more edified than when you started. So I will link to her website and her Instagram handle and all that in today's show notes. And definitely go follow her on social media so you can see where Moulin is hanging out these days. Well, friends, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, Would you do me a favor and share it with your friends? You know, word of mouth is my favorite way to talk about Pause Renew Next and to pass it on. But social media is also a great way or rating and reviewing it on your favorite podcasting app. Well, friends, if you're in the U.S., I hope that you will have a blessed Thanksgiving week. But even if you're not in the U.S., we can all benefit from spending time, paying attention to our gratitude, what we've been given and enjoying it. So I hope that you will do that no matter where you are. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next.
May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.